Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, May 16th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So, you know, this is the 149th episode of Wiretaps. We've actually done, you know, over 200 podcast episodes, but in terms of Wiretaps, we're at 149 which is astonishing. And I actually did a little bit of math as I was getting ready for the show today. And I realized that we have profiled nearly 450 candidates um, from, you know, whether it's been for apply wire entries where we're talking about admission strategy, or in some cases, decision wire entries where we're trying to help people figure out where, where to go. So it's, yeah, just crazy to think that we've touched on that many real candidates on the, over the course of these episodes. Your math is pretty good, Graham. You can multiply 149 by three. Yes. But I would also say right <laughs> at the very beginning, if you remember, I think we tried to profile four candidates. I don't know. It was, it was not I good. I don't know how many episodes <laughs> that was yeah. for, but we might have hit that 450 is my point. You're right. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. And I don't think we've ever done two. So it's, yeah, I know we started with four and then realized we just had too much to say about everybody. So uh, cut it back. But in any event, I did want to say, speaking of, you know, 149 episodes of wiretaps and all the work we do, I wanted to ask people to show us a little bit of love. Um, And believe it or not, I'm not going to ask for you to review the podcast or rate the podcast this week, even though we always do ask for that. But we have this new thing that we've put up on the website that allows you to just review Clear Admit and your experience with the Clear Admit community. And so I would love for anyone who loves the show or loves our site to come on over to the website. We have a special URL, just bit.ly forward slash Clear Admit Reviews, all one word, all lowercase. And if you go there, you'll see you get to you know give us a star rating and then write a little short review really important for us. We're just trying to gather feedback and, and share, you know, kind of people's experiences and you don't have to, you know, you leave your first name only. It's not, it's not going to be attached to your um, identity or anything, but yeah, come on over and and leave us a review. That would really make our day. Um, And we did send an email out about this and we'll put it up on the site too. But then Alex, I got to say, this was an idea that you had. Yeah, no, I'm actually really passionate about this because at the end of the day, our success next season uh, will be predicated on on sort of how we can sort of nurture the you know folks that have enjoyed us this season and and have them help us encourage the next folks coming in. So, so so it's it's fundamentally it's really important for our business. So hopefully um, we get a little bit of uptake. That'd be fantastic. And um, and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll hopefully the the, the reviews are positive. Great. That's the main thing. If they're <laughs> negative, then we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so all right, enough about us. Uh, let's talk business school, right? So I know Wharton did their decisions uh, over the last week or so for round three. And then there were a lot of people who had been waitlisted at Wharton. And and this is true at all schools. But Wharton said, oh, we're going to give you another notification on July 29th. That's kind of the next notification point. And there was some discussion about that on the website. And I wanted to ask you, since you used to sit on the committee there, and I know they may not do things exactly the same, but what does it mean with, like, how does the summer wait list work? That's what I would call this, right? I mean, we're basically heading into yeah. summer and the, all the rounds have passed. So what, what happens here? Yeah, typically on the summer wait list, schools are going to keep a, 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 a smaller group of folks um, sort of on that wait list as they get closer to sort of capping out their class, they know how many deposits yield, um, they, they know the size of the class and, and so on and so forth. So, so the further along we go into the, into the summer, 
the more certain schools can be in terms of their class size. But they'll use this, what we might call a summer wait list, to top up those numbers. Um, if, you know, in Wharton's case, if Harvard and Stanford start to pick a few more folks off their wait list, then Wharton will need to go to its wait list and so on and so forth. Um, so, so yeah, the summer weight is generally going to be smaller and it's generally going to be made up with folks that they believe can make quick decisions um, to attend um, if provided that opportunity. So if you're on that summer wait list, that's one of the signals that you need to send, um, that you are absolutely thrilled at the opportunity to potentially attend Wharton, even if at the last minute. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other thing I saw, Graham, is last week there were a lot of other folks getting off wait lists um, yes. at, at a variety of schools and we've talked about this i think in the last several podcast um, shows in terms of we think there is going to be lots of movement on the wait list this season that clearly seems to be playing out so congratulations to those folks and i do love the the process that schools are using, a lot of schools seem to be using these days, is to give the waitlist folks a telephone call or some kind of um, call, yeah. <laughs> ask them if they're still interested. If they are, then they get the admit. So my point being here, um, schools do not want to admit folks from the waitlist that are not they're not going to yield. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're not admitting folks blind. They want to admit folks that they know will attend yeah. their program. Yeah. And actually, um, so we're talking about this season and people still kind of on the on the list. And, and obviously, we've also started to get into next season. And the reason I mentioned that is because I realized that we published on our website uh, that Harvard has, you know, released, I believe, maybe deadlines and essay topic for the coming cycle. So that's already out. So we're into that part of the season where schools are going to be announcing essay questions. And I've had the opportunity to connect with a number of schools over the last two weeks because ClearAdmit's been doing events with admissions directors. And many of them have been revealing in those events what they're doing with their essays. And so I know actually, for example, last week we spoke with Wharton at one of our events and they indicated kind of confidentially that they don't foresee any changes to their essay questions. So you know, people can start getting into planning mode and writing mode with their applications. And we'll just see more and more of that as, as time goes by, I expect, in, in the coming weeks with schools announcing. Yeah, I like the way they revealed it to you kind of confidentially, Graham. <laughs> well, now it's not confident. Well, there were there were people on the uh, webinar, obviously. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it's not on their website yet. So it's just kind of an interesting thing. And I, you know, because we did put the schools on the spot by sort of saying, "Hey, are these the requirements for your program?" And um, the fellow Jeb, the guy that came from from Wharton, was was telling us that you know, hey, he's in charge of you know the essay questions, and they're not going to change. So that that was good to get. And actually, speaking of all that, you know, we've been doing these events every Wednesday this month. Uh, last week, as I said, we had Wharton, we had Duke, uh, UT Austin, Cornell, and Carnegie Mellon. A lot of fun asking them questions about their application process. And this week, we've got Columbia, Dartmouth, Chicago Booth, and UVA Darden. And those are both, uh, those schools are joining us this Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern. And you can sign up on our website or just go to tinyurl.com forward slash clear admit events. So yeah, these are fun and we had a ton of people last week. So I'm hoping we get the same this week. And you're getting good feedback, I, I hear. 
Yeah, so much so that somebody on the team accused me of inviting my friends to these events because we got some <laughs> reviews that came in, you know, unsolicited reviews that were sent via email to us uh, saying how great the events were. And I do not know the individuals that, that sent those in, but had a lot of fun hosting the event. So uh, over on the website, we've been doing more Real Humans. And again, the point of the Real Humans alumni series is just to give our audience a taste of like what, it, what happens to people after business school and even a couple of years out in some cases, right? So we had a woman named uh, Ruchi Nanda, who's a Columbia MBA. She graduated back in 2019. So this is, you know, like pre-COVID that she graduated and she's um, at Microsoft and, you know, she, I guess her role is, and you might, I'm hoping you could explain this to me, Alex, because her role is U.S. Capital Markets Senior Industry Advisor. So what, what do you think that job is at Microsoft? Like, so she's working in finance for them, I guess. I, I guess you, you're, you're, you're about as smart about this as I am, but it sounds like a finance <laughs> role in tech. Yeah. So I think she's probably, yeah, my guess is that she's keeping an eye on, on, you know, the way that the markets are moving and helping them, um, maybe with some of their investment decisions or it's just hard to know. I mean, obviously if you read the article, there's a little bit more detail, but she did come from a kind of risk advisory background. And, you know, she had an interesting point about like why she went to business school. Cause she was working, I think if I remember correctly for sort of like a big four, you know, risk assessment, uh, risk advisory services type role. And she says, I had reached a point in my career where I wanted to explore a new path I'd always been an incorrigible pop culture addict, and at that time I was living in New York, and my commute including walks, included walks through Times Square, and I saw firsthand how pop culture and technology has this profound impact on people. By attending business school, I was seeking to take this passion to the next level. So she basically pivoted out of, you know, big four consulting to go work for a, you know, a, a, arguably a company that is embedded in our culture now, Microsoft, right? So just interesting what sort of drives people and the, the sort of shifts that they make with their careers. And I'm waiting to hear what, what they're going to change their name to. <laughs> Why, oh, the Microsoft, yes, because of Meta yes. and, and Alphabet. <laughs> we will see. Uh, the other real human that I that I wanted to share is uh, a woman named Chi uh, Esignolo. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, so I apologize in advance. But she did a Kellogg one-year MBA and graduated in 2021 and is a senior product manager at Amazon. She originally is from Lagos, Nigeria. And she said, in terms of advice that she has, she says, one thing I did, which I would do again, is that I started my job search very early. I reached out to alumni and other employees at my target companies, and I scheduled coffee chats and informational interviews to learn more about their roles and the overall company cultures. Doing this also helped me to get on the radar of the companies that I was interested in. So Alex, you're always talking about, you know, getting into business school with a plan. And so it sounds like she definitely had that, right? Yeah, no, fantastic. But also recognizing that's a one-year um, program. So yeah, you've got to hit the ground running in those shorter programs. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. And and so anyway, just I love reading these stories about real candidates and stuff. I say that every week. Um, but in any event, if anyone has anything that they want to share with us, obviously, we've asked you for reviews, we've asked you to sign up for events. But if you do just want to reach out to Alex and me, you can just send us an email at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject wiretaps. And we really do respond. I think everyone always thinks that we're bluffing there. But um, I spend time writing back to people when they write us. So send us an 
note if there's anything you want to ask or if you even just want to tell us what it is that you like doing while listening to the show. Speaking of which, Alex, I think we should move on and get into the wiretaps portion because we have a candidate who does something interesting while listening, right? Yeah, no doubt. But we do have one more thing to cover, Graham. You've gone a little bit quickly through the various things in terms of what's on deck for this upcoming week. Yes. Um, Anderson, Yale will be releasing their round three decisions. IS 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 scheduled to release its interview invites for round four. Great. Okay. Yeah, totally forgot about that. Thanks for keeping us <laughs> posted and on track with that. Um, all right. So let's get started, though, and move into the wiretaps portion. This is wiretaps candidate number one. So this is an apply wire entry that we received from a woman in London uh, who wants to start school in the fall of 23. She has Berkeley, Duke, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, and Wharton on her target list. She's been working in asset management in a kind of business development and sales type role for several years, uh, six actually in total. And she wants to stay in asset management, uh, maybe hedge funds and stuff after business school. Her GPA from undergrad was a 3.3. She studied humanities at what she refers to as a top five UK university. And then she did go off and do a master's in finance from a, uh, another UK institution where she has a 3.8 GPA. And she also indicates that she worked while completing both uh, of those degrees. So um, hard worker and she's got some out outside activities. She did say, and this is what I was referring to earlier, that she loves the podcast and she says, I've been an avid listener on the tube for a while now. I particularly enjoyed your discussion of London pubs. So uh, there you go, Alex. Um, so there's a listener on the tube. At first I was thinking, is she like watching this on YouTube? And then I realized, no, she's in London and the tube is the subway. So I was a little confused there for a second. Um, but what do you make of this candidate, Alex? I don't even remember talking about London pubs, so I think that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when we're, when we're getting together in London, we talked about how we wanted to go to the pub, but then we ended up working too much. Oh, right, right. <laughs> right. Very good, very good. Um, yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. Well, what do I think of this candidate? There's some real, real good potential here. They've still got to take the GMAT, um, and, you know, they say, you know, they're dreaming big targeting around 740, but, you know, 740 would be terrific. I mean, if it's in the 700s, I think we're in great shape here. Mm -hmm. um, they Their undergrad GPA might be, you know, a little bit sort of um, lower, but again, you're sort of converting from the UK scale to, to, to US. I'm assuming... Um, that they got a two one, um, which which um, or or just behind a first or something like that, um, and and obviously from a very good school, top five school, which means it's probably ranked fifth. Otherwise, it'd be a top four school. Um, but but um, so <laughs> but but then got got the three eight at, 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 at the finance degree. So clearly, they're showing some smarts here. That's very good. Um, I like the fact that they work during their degrees. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying I like that fact, but the the reason why they worked, are they a bootstrapper? Did they sort of, you know, basically their, their only opportunity to go to school was to then work simultaneously? If that's the case, that's a real sort of positive there. If they're a bootstrapper, striver type candidate, um, very good. Um, yeah, they're, they're in um, asset management in, in what they call a sales role. I'm glad we, we, we had a little bit more correspondence with them 
on, on apply wire and talked more about business development. So from a sales standpoint, yeah, that's not your typical path to top tier MBA programs. But when you're talking more about business development and impacting growth um, and not just simply um, order taking and executing on sales, I think you're talking a very different sort of caliber of candidate. And yeah, there's lots to like about this candidate, quite frankly, Graham. Um, if they, if they um, can sort of, um, um, you know, get the sort of GMAT that they're looking for, um, frankly, I think they need to be really focused on the very top programs. This is an M7 candidate um, in, in, in my book by, by many measures, as long as that GMAT delivers. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I guess I wanted to, when she mentioned top five, you know, you said, oh, maybe it's number five, but I actually was curious how good my own knowledge of, you know, the UK is. And so for me, what are the, you know, I was thinking like, what are the top five schools in the UK? And I was thinking, well, Oxford and Cambridge. And then I wanted to ask you, but I was going to say Imperial, LSE, and maybe Kings. Is that, or, I mean, is that what you would say, or is, am I forgetting one? No, I think that's possible. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> you, you know, I just make, make it a little a flippant comment. You, you, you say you went to the best school if you went to number one. You say you top right, three, right. you went to the third best. <laughs> if you say you went to a right. top 50, then it's probably in that 40 to 50, right? So we just yeah. kind of understand the language of that. But there's no doubt this person has good, a very solid to very good academic profile. Yeah. The fact that they had to work or, or they chose to work, I don't know which is the case. Right, that um, would be good to know. During, during their academics um, is, is important also. They're also, you know, strong extracurriculars. I really like that. Um, and yeah, the, I, th- I think there's a lot to like their profile, Graham. Just if you talk about the importance of getting diversity in the classroom, and we know why diversity is important, it really in- increases the, the conversation, the depth of the conversation and so on and so forth. So we're talking about a female candidate from Europe. These, the, you know, that type of profile is underrepresented in top schools in the United States. Right. I can tell you the top schools will line up for this candidate as long as the GMAT comes in, you know, within spitting distance right. of the average. That's yes. what I would say. You know, I, I think um, so. No pressure. Like, I think she, you know, she should do fine on the GMAT and, and get it done. She did have one question before we move on that I wanted to get to, which is she talks about how she does a lot of different um, extracurricular activities. Right. She says she does some mentoring sports. Um, she's even had several you know, sports leadership positions. And she says she continues to compete in two um, niche sports. Um, one is a solo sport and one is team based. She also involved with some charities. She sits on the board of one of them. And the question she asked was, should I cut some of these things out of my candidacy because I don't want to come across as a jack of all trades? So what do you say to that? Please come across as a jack of all trades. I love it. (laughs) I love the fact that there's a sports angle. I love the fact that there's a charity angle. They've got compassion. They want to contribute. They want to make the world a little bit better. The athletic component, I, I, that shows that you've got that sort of will to really succeed and exceed and perform at a high level in a certain area. There's just lots to like about all this stuff, Graham. So yeah, in, in this case, for what we look at as AdCom, um, using your extracurriculars to show that you're super well-rounded, which to me, this looks like in this case, absolutely fantastic. 
Yeah, and what I would encourage her to do is think about some of those outside activities and try to map them to future involvement. You know, so if there is, I, I don't know what the, um, you know, solo, act, you know, athletic activity is, if it's running or if it's, um, I met someone recently who does, what do they call it, cold water swimming, <laughs> which uh, that's a whole other world. But, you know, whatever it might be, think about, like, are they going to found a club or join a club at, at business school? It's always good to just imagine yourself in the program and think, you know, to what extent will you get involved? But I, I love this candidacy and I think she's going to get in. What you call cold water swimming, we just call swimming. Swimming. <laughs> I knew, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, well. But um, the other thing, I mean, and this candidate, I think they also express that they play three instruments. I mean, obviously music. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yes, absolutely yeah, fantastic. there's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you say that you guys just call it swimming, although I went north in France recently to, you know, the kind of across the the channel from uh probably from i don't know uh, brighton or something right so near calais and all that and and uh the water's like ice cold there too and even in the summer it's not terribly warm <laughs> so uh yeah swimming in like normandy and stuff is not always pleasant either i i have swum in the sea above the arctic circle oh there you go wow how did with a wetsuit no no <laughs> and you live to tell the tale I took four strokes and ran straight back out. <laughs> uh, excellent. All right. So um, thanks to that, <laughs> to that candidate for sharing her story with us. Let's move on. We have another candidate. So this is Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is an apply wire entry. Uh, it's from a candidate who has just three schools on the target list, and they are Harvard, London Business School, and Oxford Said. They want to start school next fall. Uh, they used to work uh, as a lawyer, so they're trained as a lawyer, but then pivoted into consulting and would like to sort of stay in that domain post-MBA, although it sounds like they want to accelerate their career and they're targeting some of the best in Bain, BCG, and McKinsey. GMAT score is a 760, GPA a 3.31, and they've got three and a half years of work experience. They're located in Sydney, Australia, although the candidate did share, um, and this is a she, she said that she is originally from New Zealand. Uh, and she's you know, mentioned she's done this career switch from law to consulting, but wants the MBA to really help progress as a consulting lateral hire. So I don't, I don't know exactly what she means by that, but I'm guessing maybe move over to maybe a better firm. I, I don't know what, what she means by that. Do you have a sense, Alex? <laughs> Well, I think, yeah, she's coming in as a lateral hire means not directly straight out of undergrad, um, whatever, into consulting. But I think I, I believed that she's actually made the transition now into consulting right. as a okay. lateral hire and then sort of is progressing um, from there. Um, Got it. That makes sense. So she was hired kind of, yeah, side, went from law right into yeah. consulting. And, and so she hasn't moved up probably in salary or, or kind of prestige. And so she's looking for the MBA to accelerate yeah. her career. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, because she says to help me progress as a consulting lateral hire. So I interpret that yeah. she's currently a consulting lateral hire. She now needs to progress because all of her training obviously is in the legal domain. Right. Um, and, and now she's going to be, frankly, Graham, Another outstanding candidate. Again, we talked about the, the last candidate just from a pure profile perspective mm -hmm. um, and, and adding that diversity, which is super, super important. Um, she, again, will really stand out. I asked her in the comments when, when I first saw this profile, are you from Australia thinking, you know, I know that they're working in Australia, but maybe they're from more of an overrepresented country and now 
based in Australia. So I wanted to confirm that they were in Australia to sort of make the point that they would be um, underrepresented and therefore add that sort of diversity element. And then she responded and says, no, I'm from New Zealand. And I think that just puts it on steroids. I mean, how many, how many folks from New Zealand, um, female lawyers that are now in consulting, are applying to top-tier business schools around the world? You could probably count them on one hand. Yeah, I think we had one, one person from New Zealand in my class at Wharton. Yeah, yeah. It's an it's a underrepresented country. Yeah. She said she's a Caucasian female. And I wanted to add, Alex, that she did mention that you know, she would like to work, I didn't mention this, but so she, you know, wants to work in consulting, which she's doing now and accelerate Mm. that career. But she said in the long term, she wants to be head of strategy at a fintech or a bank. So I want to just mention that because I want you to weigh in on that as well. And she had some questions about her GPA and and it being a little bit lower at a 3.3. So yeah, I just wanted to put all that information out there. But what else do you have to say about her based on that? Well, she's got a 760 GMAT, which is ridiculous, (laughs) right? So Yeah. yeah, maybe the GPA is a little lower, but there's no doubt that she's got the chart. And she's already made that transfer into consulting, sort of moving. There's just a lot, a lot to like. And even outside of work, she's doing volunteer work in sort of social enterprise, um, sort of almost looking at sort of financial education um, for for disadvantaged women. So that checks a lot of um, positive marks also. But also it sort of shows her interest and passion leading towards fintech, which again is another positive. So so stuff that she's doing outside of work sort of helps sort of, you know, reinforce the the overall narrative and the story. Uh, Yeah. Lot to like here, Graham. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's killing me to read. I, you know, she's a, um, she's a runner and she says, you know, she ran at the national level during university and now she runs, you know, more socially yeah. and stuff. But it's killing me because I, I cannot run right now. I have two torn ligaments in my ankle and I'm really bummed. Well, you're getting old, Graham. You're not, you're not as I old know. as me, but we're not quite as young as these folks. I know, I know. Yeah, I guess um, I'm, I'm, the doctor says I'm allowed back out there over the summer at some point. Yeah. But it's killing me yeah. to not be able, especially with this beautiful weather. But in any event, the one thing I wanted to say about her is that... I, you know, I, I love this candidacy. Like, I think it's a, it's a home run, but I wanted to ask you, she says in the long run, you know, so we're envisioning her as, you know, um, head of strategy at a FinTech or a bank or something, which, you know, for a lawyer is a little bit of a leap, right? So she's going to have to really um, hone those kind of finance chops and stuff in mm, school. Yeah. But I think she says that she would like to stay wherever she studies for a few years. So yeah. meaning, remember her schools were Harvard, LBS and Oxford. So either stay in the US or, or the UK for a few years but she would want to end up back in Australia or New Zealand in the long run. And so I put to you this question, which is, what do you think of the school selection? Because I'm not 100% sold on the school selection at all. Yeah, no, I think this is a very, very good question. Um, I like the fact that at this stage, she has a US school-based school and Euro-based schools on her list. Sure. Because you could you could make a viable argument that she could thrive in, in London or, or in Europe, and she could thrive in various parts of the States for that two or three or four, whatever period, and then bring that experience back to her home, home base. Um, I think that makes perfect sense. I do think her US schools needs to be a bit broader. Yeah. And when I say broader, I'm not necessarily saying drop down um, the, 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 the level of target schools, although uh, 
if you've only got Harvard, it's almost like you have to drop down. But certainly include Stanford, certainly include Wharton and maybe one other from the US. And yeah, I, I, I love the idea of LBS, maybe one or two others. But but yeah, she, I, I think rounding out some of these US schools would, would be a smart thing to do. Yeah. So here's my point of view on this. And it's that I, I like the schools that are on her list, you know, Harvard, LBS and Oxford can't go wrong. And I recognize the power that Oxford might have as sort of with a global career because of the brand of the, you know, main sort of undergraduate institution uh, and just the university overall. Right. So even if they may not have quite the name in the MBA space, it's a, it's obviously a, a household name kind of for other reasons. Uh, London Business School, perfect match. I mean, it's in London, great place to get involved with fintech and finance. And so no issue there. I, my thing though was I was thinking about, well, if I want to be able to work in the US or Europe and then go back to New Zealand or Australia, I was just thinking about, well, what schools have the sort of network and power to place you wherever and where you can really tap into something. And I, I will say that, um, and also I was thinking about finance, you know, so I was, so I have to say, and I know I'm a homer cause I went there, but I mean, Wharton is a school that comes to mind immediately. They still have always had a really good connection to both Australia um, and New Zealand and, you know, particularly Australia where, I mean, I can have lots of friends who went to Wharton who are in uh, Sydney now. And so there's a big network. Uh, the, the alumni clubs are active in these markets. And so it just occurred to me, like, you need a school that's big with a global footprint, ideally with some really good finance coursework that she could take. And so that's where I was kind of going with it that right. I, I would like to see another U.S. school on the list. And for me, it would be Wharton actually probably before Stanford, given her goals and her kind of international career nature. But, you know, maybe there's a lot of fintech stuff happening in, in Silicon Valley that she wants to dive into. I don't know. I'm not, it's not a, an yeah. area that I'm as familiar with. So, but yeah, I could, I would see another school or two on the list. Definitely. I, I completely agree with you. I just think Stanford needs to be considered um, in yeah. terms of Wharton. Yeah. I mean, I, I did admissions events at, at, in, in, in Sydney, um, in, in Melbourne. I was pretty smart about that, Graham. I did the, the <laughs> Melbourne event right after the Melbourne Cup because I wanted to go watch that horse race. But <laughs> subsequent to that, I actually went over to New Zealand um, as part of this particular tour. Mm -hmm. And I did admissions events in Auckland and in Wellington. I think I was the first... Um, well, I know I was the first from Wharton to do such events, might have been the first from top business schools in around the world to do such events. And I don't know if they're still being undertaken um, in New Zealand, but I had a fantastic experience over there. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. You're exactly right. Wharton's footprint around the world. And also, you know, here, here's someone with lots of legal training. Well, yeah, actually, they, they did. No, no, they, they got legal training. I was confusing with with our previous candidate um they they you know they're, they're making this career pivot they really maybe they want to go to a school like wharton because they'll do a deep dive into the academics right um you know the the faculty resources there are going to be second to none so yeah no very good point yeah that was exactly where i was going it's like if i wanted to learn finance and strategy and and get kind of quantitative about things i would yeah want to go to wharton i think for this especially if i was a lawyer i mean it's, you just want to hit hard on those areas that you need to develop so in any event um are you are you pro lawyer going into mba yeah i'm fine with it i mean i will say schools yeah. uh yeah we we said we're going to talk about this and i guess we've got to move things along a little bit but i was going to say earlier that you know there are some stereotypes with lawyers applying to business school that admit officers look out for and, and those are 
do they have the quantitative chops? I'm hoping that, you know, her GMAT score settles that score, right? It's, I mean, she's got, you know, yeah. 760. So presumably the quantitative section was fine. So yeah, th there's that fear about can lawyers do math? And then the other fear is, will lawyers just talk too much or, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, uh, are they going to get along well in the classroom? Are they going to kind of just talk to hear themselves um, speak or something? So there's always that stereotype as well. But as long as she can kind of navigate those two, she should be fine. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that, that, Graham, this person belongs in a top program, there's no doubt in my mind. I, yeah. In fact, our first two candidates, absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they land. Hopefully they'll keep us posted. Um, let's move on, though. I want to thank that um, person for her post. And let's move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So this is another apply wire entry, and it comes from a candidate who also wants to start in the fall of 23. This is a military candidate um, who's looking to pivot into technology. The schools on the target list are Berkeley, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Wharton, and UT Austin McCombs. GRE score is a 332, GPA 3.69, and seven years of work experience. Uh, they note that they are an Army pilot with an engineering undergrad, and they would love to move into tech product management. Uh, they are looking to apply potentially to some joint MBA, MSCS uh, programs. So that I believe stands for Masters in Computer Science. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, Alex. Uh, and then they did mention that uh, in terms of outside activities, they have a small derivatives partnership. They do some freelance software development and some nonprofit work building personal finance courses for soldiers. So, Alex, what do you make of this candidate? We've had a military candidate on the last few weeks, it seems like, and yeah. they're always pretty solid and the schools love them. But yeah, what do you what do you think this person you know needs to do? I, and I'm guessing this person will fall right into that bracket, right? I mean, yeah. when you get a military candidate, th this is a pilot with an engineering undergrad. Um, the numbers look um, fantastic. You've got a 369 as an engineering undergrad. We know that's very strong. Right. The GRE is also very strong. Um, so, so we can presume there's, there's, you know, we're looking at a really good profile here, uh, much like our prior candidates, but for different reasons. Um, so, so I think there's a lot to like here. Um, again, now, um, the, the question becomes, and, and we talked about this a little bit before we came on air, um, their, their school selection has been driven by potentially looking at a couple of joint MBA, MS computer science programs. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that they're, they're targeting um, wanting to get into tech product management. So my understanding, Graham, is uh, transitioning into tech product management is going to be quite difficult um, for those without an engineering undergraduate degree. This person has an engineering undergraduate degree. So presumably they sort of check that box. I'm wondering if they need to pursue that master's in, in computer science to sort of further enable that transition, or if they, you know, when they, they do their um, MBA at a top tier program, they can take additional electives that align closely with that transition into tech product management. Um, I think you have a point of view on that. Yeah, I mean, my view is that obviously, if just, you know, from a pure education standpoint, kind of passion project, they're, they're desperate to learn about computer science and, and just would feel fulfilled in doing that, then by all means, 
go ahead, right? But in terms of if you're just asking me, do they need that the dual degree to have success in their future career? I would argue probably not. I mean, I, you know, again, it depends how in the weeds they want to get as a project manager um, or product manager, and and you know what what it is that they want to do. But if they're thinking C-suite someday at a tech company then they might have enough with, as you say, engineering undergrad, do some elective coursework at one of these universities, because many of these programs, and, and obviously they need to do their homework because some are more flexible than others, but many of them would allow you to take a number of electives outside of the business school. You know, they could be in computer science or whatever you want um, at a university. Now, some schools are more strict than others, so I think you have more flexibility depending on which institution you attend. But imagine they're at MIT and they take a handful of courses over in the computer science department. They'll be fine, right? I don't. I mean, if we're just talking about what do they need to kind of achieve their career plan, uh, and and obviously they'll be, it'll be faster and cheaper, and and they can get back out into the workforce. And I mentioned that because they already have seven years of you know um, military experience, I presume. So right. yeah. So for me, I, I would just go get the MBA and go 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 for it. You know, they they could take a course or two along the way um, in business school that'll you know hone their uh, kind of computer chops and stuff, but I don't think they have to do the dual degree. That's that's my view. No, I completely agree. The other question I wanted to put, pose to you, Graham, a lot of candidates that we discuss, we do focus on extracurriculars, the importance of extracurriculars. And I think certainly our first candidate that we've talked about today has a really good sort of profile from an extracurricular standpoint in terms of very well-rounded and so forth. Um, and, and, and that, but this candidate, um, maybe not quite as, as sort of um, well-developed, small derivatives, partnership, freelance software development, it's sort of quite sort of um, focused on, on work type stuff, yeah. a non-profit um, and doing some non-profit work building personal finance courses for soldiers, which I actually really like that um, last um, um, little piece. But I'll ask you a question, military candidates, generally, on the whole, we don't see them necessarily combine their military experience with deep extracurriculars. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, no. I mean, it depends on what they're doing in the military, but in many cases, it's pretty difficult to do outside activities. And so I I agree with you, though. When I saw, oh, derivatives partnership, freelance software development, I think of those things as kind of being um, for them as opposed to really for others, right? So, Correct. and now granted the software development is kind of interesting in that it maybe dovetails with their career plan. Um, and it further underlines the point that they're already doing software development. They may not really need to, <laughs> to, you know, do an entire master's in computer science. Um, but the only, the one that did jump out is nonprofit work, building these kind of personal finance courses for soldiers. So I, I agree with you, but, but it's not the, yeah, the, the expectation on the admissions committee side is going to be lower uh, for a military candidate. It's just, there's an assumption that they probably have less time and, and just less flexibility. Like they might be on base somewhere or in, in the theater, right? I mean, there's, who knows, right? So yeah, um, yeah, it's hard to, you know, do a lot of stuff if you're flying a plane all the time. So, which is what this person's doing, presumably, right? So they're, they're a pilot, so. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no doubt. And yeah, Graham, I think we've, we picked three outstanding candidates for today's discussions. Yeah. And I will say, you know, I, someone once wrote to us and said, Hey, pick some people with, you know, who aren't like perfect. And so I, I know we go up and down with that. So obviously we'll see what comes in. Please, if you're listening and you want to share your profile, it's totally anonymous, post it to apply wire on the site and we will um, kind of go through your candidacy, Yeah, whether you've got a 750 or a 650, doesn't matter to us. We'll talk about it and talk about what you need to do. So Alex, thanks for picking these out. Uh, we'll do it again next week. I do want to encourage everyone to please, um, 
go over and leave us reviews on the website as we have that new <laughs> new tool in hand. And uh, Alex, yeah, I'll see you in one week's time. Brilliant. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.